Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 12, the listener's questions episode of the Asking for a Parent podcast. It's me, Dr. Coleman Nocter, and it's a pleasure to get back answering your questions and having a chat with you again. Thanks to everyone who's downloading and sharing the episodes. And for those who are getting in touch with the podcast by using the asking for a parent at gmail.com and the Twitter, Instagram and Facebook pages. It's really great and the response has been fantastic. Before we start this episode, I was doing some presentations this week about workplace well-being and giving a lot of thought to the new working from home dynamic that a lot of parents are doing currently. And I began thinking that although there was undoubtedly some perks to this, less commuting, less childcare costs, and maybe more school pickups and drop-offs, it is not without its cost. I'm on record as saying I didn't agree with the term working from home and especially felt that during lockdown when the schools were closed, we weren't working from home, we were parenting from work. But even now, there are hidden stressors to working from home. The loneliness of not having human face-to-face interaction is not good for us, but as well as the lack of interaction, maybe lack of movement, there are other less obvious stressors that I'd like to kind of talk to us briefly before we start the episode today. Many of us are experiencing what is called anticipatory anxiety, and that's by that I mean we are anxious about things that might happen as opposed to things that do happen. And this can sometimes be called hosting anxiety. So, for example, when you're hosting a Zoom call, you don't know whether just when you're about to start the meeting, your neighbor will start streaming his hedge again or that the broadband will drop. Or in the case of this week's episode with Aoife Lee, the builders next door will start. These are new pressures for us all, and many of them go unnoticed and unrecognized. And I've heard so many people recently just say how they're feeling crankier than usual in work and the the workplace dynamics where some people are working on site and others are working from home is causing a bit of tension. And I think what I'm trying to say is that with less structure comes less boundaries. We are more likely to answer emails at night when we're working from home than if we were on site from nine to five that day. And yes, it's great that we can work from anywhere, but does it also mean that we can work from everywhere? And I'm wondering again, what impact that has on family life and parenting. So in summary, I'm suggesting we take stock and acknowledge the stress of working from home, acknowledge the anticipatory and hosting anxieties and remind ourselves of the need for boundaries. Just because you do your best work from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. before the kids are up and your colleague does his best work from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. after the kids have gone to bed means that we may find ourselves putting in a 19-hour day. Not 19 hours of work but more 19 hours of on-call, which leaves us checking phones and laptops for emails that might arrive. And I remind ourselves of the four to seven principle. Remember, we have to keep everything between four and seven, where we go into one, two, three, and eight, nine, 10. That's when our mental health can sometimes be compromised. And mental health and fitness is about, it really is about moderation, keeping things in the four to seven. So let's make sure our work, exercise, sleep, and diet are in that four to seven range. And just for the task this week, maybe take stock because less structure does mean less boundaries. And this can creep into one, two, three, and eight, nine, 10 without even noticing it. So in light of this, we've left the noisy builders in this episode as a means of communicating the reality of this struggle. And I'll finish on this. Because you can work from anywhere does not mean that you have to work from everywhere. Anyway, I'll let you listen on to this episode of The Listener's Questions with Aoife Lee, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 12 of the Asking for a Parent podcast. This is me, Dr. Coleman Nocter, and today on The Listener's Questions episode, 
My guest is Aoife Lee. Aoife is the founder of Parenting Support, a service providing parenting advice to individuals, services, and companies. She's also the resident parenting expert on the Dermot and Dave show on Today FM. And Aoife and I have shared many lineups over the course of the recent years, and Aoife is a great source of advice and support to parents. She's also really engageable and accessible in her supportive style. I've always enjoyed my chats with her, as I'm sure you will too today. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce to the Asking for a Parent podcast listeners' questions episode, Aoife Lee. Aoife, how are you? That was a glowing introduction, Coleman. Thank you. You're very welcome. All well-deserved. How are you keeping? We are well. We are gearing up for Christmas. The kids are excited. It's a nice change from what we've been, been through. And I suppose, like yourself, times and, and work has been busy and I've been able to identify the challenges that all families have had to cope with and uh, they've you know, had to deal with since, since March, April. It hasn't been an easy time. So being a parent myself, as you are, I totally get it. And it's been amazing to be able to support so many families during this time. And in terms of your own family, I mean, you said, you mentioned gearing up for Christmas and just over the last few days for next episode, we're getting a lot of questions about Christmas um, yeah. and about, you know, how to make this Christmas special and different. And I think that is a real challenge because it will be different. There's no doubt about it. But how about you? How are you building up for it? Or how, how's, what's Christmas like in your house? Well, you know, I have three kids. My house is 12 and we have a nine and a three-year-old. So they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. But they're very excited. And I think one thing it's interesting you should say about lots of questions coming in uh, regarding Christmas. I did um, a session um, yesterday, actually, with a, a company and it was for working parents. It's one part of my job I do. And it was all around preparing the kids for Christmas. It's a very different one, as we know, and a very unique Christmas time. But I think if anything has come out of this experience, it is the, the gratitude and how much more we appreciate things than maybe previous years. There's not the, the outings and the sandy visits and the pantos that maybe for some people they'd be used to, used to doing. But the other part that is important to acknowledge is there's lots of families that Ireland isn't their native country and they're not going to see family, whether they're visiting or they're traveling abroad. And that's, I think, extremely difficult and it's important to acknowledge that as well. Uh, but I know as far as Santi's still coming, he's still coming to our house. We still got the letters in the post and we're going to just try and create more traditions for this year and think, well, this is a special Christmas. So it's trying to focus on that. The other aspect of it is, and it's, it's um, actually something that came up in the session yesterday was, uh, let's say maybe a lot of grandparents are reluctant to do the visiting and do the family occasions because they're nervous. So it's, it's acknowledging that with the kids. You might find that some of the kids would be disappointed that they're not going to see their grandparents this year. So it's all this stuff that you wouldn't really have thought of that's now coming up for families. And it is interesting. I, I think, I mean, if you look at all the, the, the kind of Christmas movie propaganda over the years, it was always the, the moral message was it was about people, not things. And, yeah. you know, even we go back to the Grinch and everything else. But this year kind of has been about people. And I think what, what we're actually missing about the potential different Christmas this year is the absence of people or connection. And that's that's not a bad message for us to ground in. You know what I mean? Obviously, it's, it's, we would like it not to be that way. But I think there is something about it that perhaps there is a, a taking stock, as you say, of what you know, is important and, and how we move on with that. So 
anyway, we've other questions this week that we need to get through, uh, mm -hmm. so we might crack on with that. Yes. Just to say, if there's a little bit of a kind of, I don't know whether it's a movement or something. The builders next door. <laughs> oh, that's grand. It's, it's something that's, outside of it. It's nothing to do with That's what it is. Anyway, so let's crack on with the questions. The question one, the first one in is, hi, Coleman. I'm wondering about discipline and toddlers. My daughter is two and really bold, pushing the boundaries, things like emptying drawers onto the floor, throwing food on the floor, hitting us, spitting and tantrums. I'm struggling how to address this. Uh, we've tried to getting down to her level, saying that it, that's bold, and why she, but she doesn't seem to care. I feel like she's too young to comprehend things like naughty step or rewards charts for being good. And while I appreciate that this is a normal part of toddler development, is there any advice on how best to approach this? Any thoughts on that one, Aoife? Yeah, very popular question. And I think for parents with younger children, they will often question, is this normal behavior? And what she has outlined there in her list, every single thing I have seen and supported families on. I think for preschoolers, particularly two-year-olds, the world revolves around them, as you know, you know that egocentrical uh, feeling that it's just them. So the hitting, the kicking, the spitting, uh, whatever, the, the, the unraveling of, of tantrums is very much a big part of uh, how our toddlers express their emotion. Um, a lot of it is down to learned behavior, obviously developmentally, and they get easily frustrated when they don't get their own way, when they're out of routine, and also looking for control because they're getting more independent and uh, they want things done a certain way. So as a result, you're, you're seeing behaviors and also a big part of it is how we react and respond to those behaviors. Kids pick up fairly quickly what gets us engaged, what gets us our, our attention. And then we get into a bit of a rut of we're already anticipating behaviors before they even happen. So what and I think one of the things that parents are more relieved about is, OK, this is normal. It's a phase in their life, but there are certainly ways and means of how we can manage that behavior more effectively and productively. And that, that notion of control, I mean, I think that's hard for people to understand in terms of toddlers. But there is it's a very central part of behavior is control. Can you talk to that a little bit, Eva? A lot of decisions that are made on behalf of the child is made by us, the parent. A lot happens in our toddler's days that they're not in control of, they don't intend to happen and they can't resolve themselves. So they seek out that control in, well, if I want to scream, I'll scream. Or if I want to throw the floors, the, the clothes on the floor, I will. If I want to, if I really want to get what I want, this is what I'm going to do to get it. So I would often encourage parents to focus on offering our smaller children choice, those healthy choices so they know like, what they want to play with, what shoes they want to wear, whether they want to pick a snack, whether it's an apple or a, a breadstick. The more we can encourage positive decision making for our children, the less they come looking for that control in, in a negative way. And, and a play is a big part of that, where if we let our children lead in play, that's another opportunity for them to make those choices and decisions themselves. And although they're only two and three, they're so tuned into us and our energy and our emotions as well. And that's one of the, this listener has said that she thought the two-year-old was kind of immune or not able for kind of sanction-based or incentive-based things like the reward charts or, or yeah. the, the naughty step and things. 
my view on this, and Eva, I don't know whether you'll agree with it, yeah. is that children still need to have boundaries, even when they're two. Uh, and even though, you know, and I think there's a lot of narratives around, you know, you should never raise your voice and you have to get down to their level and you have to do all these things. And that's all very well and good. But sometimes, you know, our patience is, you know, you can't negotiate with a toddler. And when they are spitting and throwing things on the floor, your, your reaction is going to be human. But from the point of view of removal of things that they like or disattending to the behavior or not giving the visibility to that behavior where they are struggling for control. I mean, I think my view would be that you would draw a little bit of the, the attention. You certainly don't reward the misbehavior uh, in that way. Would you agree with that or what are your thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, 100% agree. Boundaries are paramount and we start creating boundaries through our routines in our day. But uh, children, as much as they might fight with us about certain things of what they can and can't do, they feel safe when they know what's acceptable and what's not. So particularly for two-year-olds, they rely on our tone and our body language. Also, when you come, the more attention we pay to negative behaviours, the more it can build and escalate and blow into something a lot bigger than we ever intended it to be. So for the purpose of attention, they, you know, we are giving that to them. So I'd often say, look, step away somewhat. The likes of rewards and, you know, star charts. And again, I don't know whether you kind of agree with me here, but I would say three, three and a half is where you would introduce those because they don't really understand the concept of it. But the, to try and change suit of, and the, the monotony of what's happening, I always say to parents, like, note, catch when they've listened, catch when they follow direction, catch when, you know, something positive has happened. Not every single thing they too, do, but when maybe you've noted where they've tried their best at something, you're, a behavior that you're working on. So change the attention to positive rather than just being constantly negative. Yeah, and we, we've said that throughout the podcast, that kind of one of the catchphrases has been catch, your, catch them being good. Uh, but I, I do think from the point of view for this listener, so you managing your tone, absolutely managing the way you manage it. I mean, ignoring behavior is hard because there's a, an uncomfortable word in, that, in terms of ignoring a child and nobody wants to do that. But I do think you can disattend to behavior that is seeking a reward through difficult behavior do you know what I mean and, and yeah sorry Coleman it, it, it's kind of like uh, as opposed to ignoring it's stepping away making sure they're safe and okay but uh, you're kind of providing space as opposed to it being a strategy towards disciplining your child it's stepping away and giving them that space and it's like that fight or flight the more we feed in the more logger we, we clash and um, whereas giving that space and letting them calm down and, and regulate their emotions uh, to let them gather themselves, but also being very close by and, and, and checking in with them as well. Obviously, I think, in, and for, for a lot of families, when dealing with tantrums, it's not just about how do I tackle the tantrum, it's everything that we can do to nurture uh, our kids as well um, in the everyday scenarios that can help. For sure. And, you know, they're called the terrible twos for a reason. They are... I'm terrible are, but... trees. I'm terrible trees. <laughs> my house is moaned. And I think it is about, <clears throat> it is about, it's not about them, those things not happening, but it's maybe our management and response to it is the, probably yeah. the key in that. Okay, question two. First of all, let me thank you and your team for a lovely podcast. I always feel better after listening to your guests. Uh, in a sense, the no judgment vibes on the show is really good. This person said she's read a lot of books on parenting and mm. uh, always finds that it leaves her try like she wasn't trying hard enough. And, and that makes sense. So that's great to hear because I think that's been the kind of purpose of the message was to remove that sense of guilt or overly 
leaving tasks for people. But the reason she's emailing is that her first daughter uh, has difficulty with friendships. She's just turned 10 and is in fourth class and has had uh, the same group of friends since junior infants. However, while um, the group started at five or six girls, it's now reduced to my daughter and two others. While she's quite confident and she seems to let the other two, especially one, lead on everything. The latest being that this girl, who I call the Queen Bee, is now putting my daughter down in front of others in the yard while the other girls watch on and follow her lead. My daughter has finally come to the conclusion by herself, without me putting words in her mouth, that the Queen Bee likes to be the centre of attention and shows off in front of the boys. Again, my daughter's words, not mine. Yet every time she comes home upset after something is said and done, she goes back the next day to the group and it's like she's looking for punishment. Myself and my husband have tried telling her that real friends shouldn't treat her that way, and that she, they are lucky that she is their friend, not the other way around, and in general, to stand up for herself. But still, she goes back, not wanting to be called a baby or a wimp. Again, her words. We are at a loss and don't know what else to do. I'd really appreciate your point of view. Mm, so friendship's hard. complex. Mm. She's 10, fourth class, and there's a bit of playground politics going on here. Aoife, any thing you'd like to chip in on that yeah, one discuss yeah mm. i feel for both parent and child in this scenario firstly from the, her, her daughter's perspective she's 10 she's at the pinnacle of friendships meaning uh, a huge amount for her being part of a group fitting in it's a it's a very important developmental stage for her uh, for the parent i think it's it's great that she's talking What's one thing I would say? It's great that her daughter is actually communicating this and she's not kind of keeping it to herself. But from a parent's perspective, and I know this myself, it's hard when you hear your child is being uh, left out and uh, being excluded. It's hard when you see your child upset. So first and foremost, I would be acknowledging with her daughter how well she's coped so far in this and acknowledge um, and validate her feelings because when we you know encourage and validate and name maybe how she might be feeling it uh, makes her feel appreciated and understood okay and they're the kind of the basics and then it's it's looking at um, how to kind of help problem solve what what she can do and even just through questions as to what's important what, what does she see as, as important characteristics in a friend uh, identifying other people in her class that are also that she holds friendships with and identifying the adults at school that she can speak to as well because what we want is our children to feel safe and comfortable enough to approach other adults and that's kind of like the first starting point in it I don't know what your agreement how you whether you would agree with the state she's at developmentally and that this is a big part for her right now with friendships yeah i think this is huge and i think i think especially maybe so for girls but children are very subservient in friendships and again it is something i would watch out for there's a mm. lot of children in teenage years when you go back over the years there was a kind of a dominant passive dynamic and if they were the passive one they didn't really find their voice uh, mm. and and felt and I, I have said it before you know no flower ever grew in the shadow of a tree and so you do, do need to manage the dynamic a little bit, but yeah. children are at that age. I can remember one lad saying to me that, that one of the cool kids in his class had a timetable of people who could sit with, beside him each day. So 
if you were Monday, I was Tuesday, someone else is Wednesday. And I thought this is the most you know, narcissistic thing I'd ever heard of. And I told this child, and he said, look, I'm just delighted to be on Thursday. Do you know what I mean? I just look yeah. forward to it. And so he didn't see a problem with it. So that subservient dominance and the kind of bossiness and the, it's mm-hmm. fairly developmentally appropriate. It's, it's mm-hmm. around this age. But for, your, for this girl, it says a little bit about her sense of self that she mm. would permit that. Our sense of self isn't really developed fully at 10. You know, you're only starting to do that. But I think what they're doing already by telling her that she adds something to the friendship, that telling her that, you know, she's a valuable person and that she deserves to be treated with respect and all those sorts of yeah. things are really important messages. They may not sink in. I, I would tend, if there was a dynamic like this in the group, I do think Robert's teachers and things have a, probably a responsibility to oversee that Definitely. that's not... Because teachers may not be aware that this is going on. Mm. And it is about maybe, you know, supporting the child in that kind of managing or diluting the intensity of that dynamic where they Mm -hmm. can. You know what I mean? And, you know, Mm. that can be done in very subtle ways. It doesn't mean that this girl is kind of going to be publicized and she doesn't want to be known as a baby or a wimp or anything like it. So I can understand that. But I certainly wouldn't be having a word with the school. I certainly would be nurturing her own self-belief and her self-value. And yeah, I think from the point of view of this is something that happens. This is not unusual. And it, but it maybe is the, the length of time that it goes on or how accustomed your child becomes to being familiar in the passive role is something mm. that you have to watch out for. Just to say that the next episode we have is with uh, Susan Kyo and we talk at length about this. So mm. um, worth this listener listening into the, the next episode. But I think we're absolutely, this is something that happens. It is important to be aware of it and manage it. But as you said, Aoife, the big thing here is that this girl is coming to her mum about this. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. Know? And uh, I think from the from the parents' perspective as well, it, it's, you know, your, our natural instincts are to protect. And while we don't want to just come straight in and try and rescue the situation, it's important that it doesn't spill over into something uh, a, a lot bigger um, where it starts really impacting on her own self-esteem. So sometimes we do have to tell the teacher and we do have to make some kind of a plan so that this little girl doesn't feel isolated and she, she doesn't start dreading going into school because that then has bigger impacts on her, just her day-to-day and, you know, where it could evolve into. And But, you know, even just having those quieter conversations, and I know for a lot of my parents that I support, a lot of the chats happen at bedtime or when they're in the car and taking those times where the pressure is not like it's not, it, you know, she hasn't just come home from school and she's upset again and trying to have that conversation when emotions are high, when things are kind of somewhat relaxed and calm, that's often when, you know, we can start thinking, thinking that logic and have her part of the conversation and, and about what she can do, you know, the, the chat about talking to teacher and, and letting her know, you're 100% fully supportive of you. Perfect. And then the next question, Aoife, is similar. It's a question about, I have a seven-year-old, nearly eight-year-old daughter, and resilience is my question. Though she's very happy at school, appears to have a lot of friends, and appears outwardly bubbly, she struggles with trying new things. For example, outdoor sporting activities are a complete no way, leading to meltdowns similar to that of a three-year-old. This would be, despite it's something that she's good at, and something that she would be doing alongside other good friends. It happens in friends' birthday parties too. She can normally follow through, but this is always after a meltdown on the way there. She fears people laughing at her in the event. I don't think this has ever happened. Fears will happen that she make a mistake or that she's no good at things. 
Her teachers have repeatedly fed back this behavior with immediate outbursts of tears on making tiny mistakes. And she's nervous about picking someone for her team in case she picks the wrong person. She's a perfectionist. She gets edgy about competition and projects at school, difficulties acting out behavior at home leading up to this. And nothing terrible usually happens. She wouldn't mind. It's not about winning or being the best. It's just about kind of surviving these experiences. It results in her avoiding any new challenges, the fear of failure. I see her missing out on things. There's a couple of things she's eventually joined in with, but it might take 10 or more weeks of crying hysterically, cajoling and reassurance before she does this. In these circumstances, when we tell her it's okay that she can leave, she doesn't want to do that either. And so she's caught in the turmoil of the decision. Though she might leave smiling and having enjoyed it at the end, we start the same experience the following week. And I admit I get frustrated and find it hard to be empathetic at times. A teacher has described her as having no resilience whatsoever, which is upsetting for us to hear. We try to build her up by catching her being good, as you say, and complimenting her feedback about how kind she is, how brave she is, how good with her siblings she is. And she'll hear this, though she pretends to ignore us. Uh, however, she pointedly will sit down and try and talk to her, for example, to reflect on how well she did that day, a reminder of times that she showed that she can do it. She immediately covers her ears saying she doesn't want to talk about it and at times deliberately does say nasty or mean things as if to sabotage the moment and resist the compliment. How can we help her believe in herself and stop her worrying so much? Oh, that's a, that's, that's a really tough one, again, for their daughter and for mom and dad to see the dynamics of what's going on. I don't know about you, but I would see a number of different factors here. Certainly self-esteem is a big thing. And, and like the parent, like the parent kind of finished off the, the question, um, her kind of concern was that they want her to believe in herself. The fact that self-esteem seems to impact the decisions she's making and her reluctance and her fear of failure, it then spills over into a behavioral thing and it's it's then impacting the interaction and communication that she's having with her parents then they too are getting frustrated with her so it's it's kind of playing detective in a way and looking at what what is behind like peeling back the layers go what actually is triggering off this fear and trying to i suppose look at what exactly is actually going on for her is there something else happening that maybe what's the the dynamics like in school? Is there other personal family stuff going on that might be impacting her? I feel that there's there's always a reason behind it. There might be always a reason, but when life is impacting as much as it is for this little girl, is there more going on than maybe that they're seeing? I don't know what, there's a lot of dynamics happening for this little one. I don't don't know kind of what your thoughts are on it, Coleman, and I can kind of add in, but... You know, there's big. I, I would see this as a as a big big thing for this family. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think from the point of view, of, this can become habitual. So from yes. the point of view, of the habit of automatic negative thinking. So the more mm-hmm. you think about something negatively, the more kind of reflexive it becomes. And this child is kind of covering her ears when you're trying to nourish her self esteem, which means that she's almost not open to thinking about it differently, and she's automatically in that way. I'd I'd give the a, a tip on this one. There's four steps that you can do to reprogram negative automatic thinking, right? And the first one is demand the evidence. So when she's saying, I'm going to say something stupid, something's going to bad, it's going to happen. Demand the evidence and say, okay, when has this ever happened before? What is the likelihood of this happening? What is making you suggest that it will? And simply when it's negative anxiety, there won't be evidence there for it, right? Mm. The second thing is ask yourself, how is this making me feel? And she'll say stressed, overwhelmed, upset, 
sad. And then you'll say to her, what are you doing? And what you're doing is you're trying to identify what's called unhelpful thinking styles. And the unhelpful thinking styles are when we catastrophize, sensationalize, black and white thinking, and kind of going through steps with her to identify those ways of thinking. Because as I say, they're automatic. So when they, when they kick in, it's almost like a reflex that you have to rewire it back almost mm-hmm. into that way. And so, and then the fourth thing is, what can I do differently? So mm-hmm. rather than doing this, could I go for a walk? Can I distract myself? Can I you know, think about something different in the meantime? And it's that four steps, demand the evidence, ask myself, how is this making me feel? Identify the unhelpful thinking style. Yeah. And then ask myself, what could I do differently? And mm-hmm. that's just about stopping the negative thinking because what the, the family are trying to do here, and this is something that's important, they're trying to nourish the self-esteem by pouring the water into a leaking bucket. So we yeah. need to patch the bucket up first. And that's that yeah. change that automatic thinking style, which is I'm no good, I'm useless, I'm dreadful, and et cetera. And so with that in it, it is it's kind of the foundations of that is to try and slow that down or stop that or mm. certainly make an impact on it and then leave the space for filling up the nurturance. So the, the priority here for me is stopping the negative automatic thinking, which is, and I said one more time, demand the evidence, ask myself, how is this making me feel? Identify what I'm doing. And if people want to go online, there's, you can get these kind of 12 unhelpful thinking styles. And it is like catastrophic thinking, black and white thinking, mind reading. So it's like, no, Eva is not going to like me because uh, and you're kind of going, well, how do you know Eva doesn't like you because you're mind reading and nobody can do that? And so it kind of challenges all those sorts of things. Yeah, I think if you Google uh, unhelpful thinking styles for children, it'll give you a kind of nice bit. And I'm not one for the worksheets or giving people work to do. But in, in the case where self-esteem is being impacted by negative automatic thinking, it probably is the first step to go is to try and stop that automatic reflex. And then the second phase may be the nourishing bit. That it's it's absolutely and, and that's I think parents love to know a step by step, although you're maybe not a big believer in the workshops or worksheets, having some kind of a plan of action because for 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 parents in general, I'm one myself, it's having some kind of idea of how I'm gonna approach it. Because when you are dealing with maybe this daily occurrence for this family, we feel at a bit of a loss and I just don't know what to do. So even having something armored to write this is how we're going to approach this next time will help. And it kind of reinforces the whole idea of that self-limiting belief that the more I believe it, the more I live it and the more it just becomes part of my life. Whereas those four steps are, you know, a part of changing that around for, for that situation. Yeah. And you've hit on an important point and I'd be a great advocate of every behavior has meaning and it may originally have meaning, but now it may just be a habit you know, yeah. and, and so it may not have the, the active meaning in the here and now. It may have originated from something and it's important to find that out. But now it could be habitual. So it just becomes a kind of an automatic response. And so it may not have meaning every single time this time around. And that's where maybe the step by step breaking down of or rewiring the thinking, mm. you know, because bad habits are habits. They just become habits. You know, It's separating her fear of failure, her, um, you know, working herself up. And then there's the behavior that, that the tantrum-like behavior, uh, they're two separate things. And, mm. you know, it's putting a boundary on that as well. It's okay to kind of go, look, we understand that you are worried or you're afraid. However, you know, that, that kind of extensive reaction can, like you say, be habitual. And that's where they're dreading it and they're reactive and it gets into a bit of a, a mess. 
So, um, and that, that's that tricky thing about acknowledging the feeling but not condoning the reaction. You know, being able yeah. to do that is, is, is tricky. The next question here is, uh, I have a 14 year old son who's significantly dyslexic. He hates school. Despite doing resource teaching, having laptops, language exemptions, he still struggles and feels like he'll never catch up. A lot of teachers tell him he's very capable and not trying hard enough. His self-esteem is rock bottom. He goes to school but wants to leave school and refuses to do homework or engage much with his teachers. I'm blue in the face talking to the school and talking to him. He says we only ever talk about school. How can I help him? Uh, mm -hmm. If I can start with this one, I think even the... The, the lockdown has been incredibly hard for these kids. These yeah. are the children who were maybe holding on to school attendance by a thread, you know, mm. just the motivation of self-motivating, want to do well, wanting to get points, wanting to thrive. And the ego-focused children are okay, but the kids who were, were struggling, they have really struggled with this because the long break has been incredibly hard to get back into. And I think the school environment is very different now than it was before where we would have kind of been induced into going into our friendships and hanging, having the crack and swinging out of lads and having the, the laugh that might have made the, the, the school day more tolerable. That's not the same environment the children are in now. The mask wearing, sanitizing, two meters mm. distance thing has meant it's a little bit of the crack is not the same from the point of view of that. And so without that enticement and the challenge being greater, and there is an issue at the moment where I do believe that teachers are maybe nervous of COVID closures and there does seem to be an, a heavy pressure on kids to get through curriculum really quickly and doing, you know, getting everyone stocked up and making up for lost ground last term, et cetera. And mm. I think that just puts incredible pressure on the kids with learning needs in terms of the pace is now doubled. The, the enticement to be in there has halved and these children are struggling. And I realize I'm not giving money solutions, but I am giving perhaps explanations as to why this might be Mm. extra difficult at the moment in this situation i would be talking to the, the school a little bit about trying to have a more understanding view of his difficulties that mm. again i talked about this before the unwilling child and the unable child are two different children you know they, mm. they need to be treated differently unwilling may need directive kind of sanction-based support the unable needs support the arm around the shoulder and and ways in which they can navigate difficulties as mm. opposed to the pressure. I, I would worry about this lad's ongoing school relationship if it continues in this way. And so I think you, I, I would say park the academics for the minute. This mm. is more about him creating a better relationship with his experience of education. And how do we do that is by making school easier or better for him. And not mm. easier because he's lazy, but easier because at the moment it's too much. And that, that would be my fear. Yeah, I, I would actually, I would, uh, you know, very much agree with you. It's, it's acknowledging with him because, again, it's one of these scenarios where it's festered, it's manifested into conversations and his ability. And it's all about the problems and the, the issues that they're facing. Acknowledging this with him going, you know what, we can see that this is very tough and we want to look at how we are going to support you in the best way possible. I think when he knows that whoever the adults are in his life are 100% behind him is one part of it. The other part of it is acknowledging that acad academic isn't just, it's not every child. And even just from a practical point of view, identifying, well, how does he learn? And looking at, you know, even the different members in his family, whether it's uncles, aunties, brothers or sisters, some are creative, applied, practical, visual. 
um, you know, people go on and they might be accountants. Other people are want that caring background. Other people are going to trade and, and are creative and artistic. It's identifying also areas that, what do you love? What is really important to you? And kind of, like you say, separating, you know, parking the, the, the academic side of it and identifying what he, what's his passion. But obviously then having that, conversation with school and thinking right we need to reboot here and look at what's in his best interest so the next question Aoife is I'm a mom of four kids age ranges from seven to 18 months uh, I have be- become a stay-at-home mom since the fourth baby was born and we're doing fairly okay thankfully my husband works long hours he's very supportive and fantastic hands-on dad when he's at home I have two issues I need advice on The first is that my eldest son has some learning issues. He has an expressive language disorder. He's most likely dyslexic and has borderline dyspraxia. Having said that, he has blossomed considerably since going back to school in September and is getting a lot of help with resource teaching. At home, he needs a lot of attention. I have to help him with a lot with getting himself organized and doing homework. We keep it minimal and we get it done quickly. He has issues with executive function disorder and I've used a lot of charts with pictures to show him his routine and how these are helping. He really likes peace and quiet, so that's rare in our house because it's most, almost busy all the time and noisy. He can go to his room and read by himself as he, his literacy skills are, very, are so poor. So he can't go to his room and read by himself because his literacy skills are so poor. And I struggle with giving him activities. He can independently do, particularly in the bad weather. For playing outside, he will almost always want me to be out there too, which is, isn't always an option. He can get very loud and riles up his younger siblings, especially at mealtimes, and sets the tone for the house with this behaviour. Have you any tips on how I could get him more independent or activities he could do? He loves the iPad, but I limit that to 30 minutes after homework. Also, the second issue or worry I have is that when all my kids are going to be teenagers, I'll be back at work, even though people tell me they'll need me around more then. What habits, cultures should I be trying to instill in us as a family that will make things easier for when they are older? For example, family dinner is usually the four kids eating and me running around mopping up spills, being a waitress, and don't even get to sit as a family because of the sheer busyness. Is there any really important habits I should be starting now? I always ask them to be the best part of their day and the worst part, and we read stories at bedtime and usually try to play a board game or card game with the older two in the evening. Any advice would be great as I rapidly get more grey hairs by the day. So, Aoife, this lady is uh, preempting and worrying and concerned and asking really good questions there about how to manage that uh, so five bullet points give us that am i joking <laughs> i uh, admire this lady i admire this mom she has her hands full and she is flying the flag for parents all over for her i would say that she's doing i, I really want to focus on what she's doing really well in right now and that is she's holding the fort keeping four children you know you know she's keeping the show on the road um, she's trying to spread her time out uh, for all four children, including her eldest that has additional needs. And by doing that means, you know, creating that routine. And that's kind of one habit you could you could really start is looking at the routines they have in the in the day. And that obviously creates that predictability and that consistency. And that's a great habit just to be in. And you can frame it around mealtimes and school time, time outside, screen time, etc. For her older lad, uh, insofar as how to keep him busy, 
sometimes it's hard to step away and feel like we do need to, to manage things. And obviously she used to bear in mind her young lad's needs. It's, it's even just having that conversation with them and being part of the what it is, what would, what would he like, what would his preference be. She's quite limited in the house because of so much that's going on. And obviously with COVID, we're limited to what he can do outside of the house also. But I don't know what you think in, in, in I know if, if she's, he's borderline dyspraxia, I know uh, Dyspraxia Ireland have got a great website which provide lots of different resources. But it is, again, going back down to acknowledging, did she say what age he was? I think what he, she mentioned he was... Is he seven? Oh, he's seven? Yeah. So, so seven to 18 months. I think oh, okay. The... God, so yeah. she... I, I don't blame her for anticipating the, um, the, what it's going to be like when they're all teenagers. Because, you know, he is seven. It's identifying what he's, again, he's, he's enjoying and when he's at his best. And the fact that he has got three younger siblings, her time is, is just completely absorbed into the day-to-day running of, of the house. From his needs, I mean... Do you have any additional thoughts on, on that? Yeah. I mean, I think from this lad, this is really tricky because, and first of all, I agree with you, this woman is doing a phenomenal amount yeah. uh, in terms of, she's doing an awful lot practically and physically by you know putting in all the, she's putting loads of stuff in place for this lad to support him with the dyspraxia and dyslexia and everything else. But also for the other three, she seems to be, you know, she's running around mopping up spills and things. And, but maybe at the cost of downtime, mm. do you know what I mean? Um, and I just would be careful that her, her mom role doesn't become something that's just very task driven from the point yeah. of view and that, that she learns to enjoy and her children to enjoy her company and see the, the fun side of mum, and I know that's hard when you have four kids under seven. I appreciate how difficult that is, but it just would be important to value that as much yeah. as the like. We can say like going to the appointments and getting the supports and getting this is all very important, and it is for sure it is. But it, the relationship with your child is really important too, and that's something that needs the same level of investment, you know, from that point of view. In terms of his, his needs are are high. I mean, when she when he says he he wants to play outside and he wants her to be with him. He's maybe just growing a little bit of a dependency on having her with him to, to orchestrate things for him. And that may be indicative of his needs. But I think what you need to do here is rather than focusing on what this lad can't do, let's try and focus on what he can do and try and like maybe. Uh, and again, the screen time thing, I understand her difficulty with the 30 minutes and things in the absence of being having good literacy skills. And I always say this, it's not time spent, but time well spent on screens. So, mm-hmm. for example, there is a an app called Reading Eggs, which he could be doing on the screen, which would be, it, it, it would help him with his sounds and reading and things at a level that he can manage. So it's not public. It's not like in school. It's not with a teacher. It's not even with a parent over your shoulder, mm-hmm. but he could kind of practice sounds and things like that using the iPad in that way. And so use the technology to benefit yourself as opposed to seeing it as, as all bad in that way. Yeah. Um, the other thing is like encouraging him that he would be, he is able to go out and play on his own and encouraging him to find ways to do that and trying to, and maybe step back a little bit. And, and, but with the message, I believe you've got this. I believe you can do this. I believe you can manage this because with a child with needs, the temptation is to go, Oh, well, if I wouldn't be able for that, or if I can't do that, or if I can't go to that party, or if I wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. As, as much as that is driven from a desire to protect we can disable children from learning skills by over supporting them in some respects. Yeah. And so it gets back to that notion of kind of surmountable stress, that something that causes him some 
frustration necessarily isn't a bad thing if he's able to master it. Mm-hmm. So it's about the sense of accomplishment that he feels from his skill set and from the things that he does. So I'd be kind of encouraging uh, and enabling support so that you're enabling him to, to be able to do more and more and more. And, and uh, again, catching him being good, doing the over, overwhelming, you know, wow, yeah, that's really yeah. good what you did. And, and w- make him want to show his independence. Make that a currency for praise and things like that. But I think the very fact that this lady's writing into the podcast, the fact that she's worrying about the teenage years, the fact that she's putting in so much, is this is not a lack of endeavor. This lady is incredibly endeavorous and working very hard laboriously to create things that are, are ideal for her children and give them as much support as possible. Mm. I would just say, enjoy the downtime. You know, try and get... So, now this is a perfect few weeks coming up. The, the, don't, you know, forget about the perfect Christmas. Just try and create a kind of, let, get the movie out, you know, sit down, get the popcorn, you know, do have a toy show moment where they just see you not cleaning up and, and bringing them to appointments and, and doing homework with them. It is about trying to I readdress the terms of that relationship. Uh, I, I'd like to see mom become a, a fun mom as well, if that's yeah. possible. Yeah. And, and just to reiterate what you're saying there about kind of promoting that independence, kids feel great when they've experienced that sense of achievement. And maybe because mom is trying to be by his side and helping him, it might be giving him that space or that movement to kind of go, like say, well, I can actually do this. So again, it's encouraging even kind of more independent jobs around the house. So maybe he can earn a bit of pocket money. And, you know, he's seven, he's well able. It could be the, you know, daily tasks. So it just encourages that bit more independence than like like you say him feeling like mom has to be by his side all the time and you know that that's yeah you've made some nice good valid points there and again back to that kind of effort over outcome if he's trying let's really kind of reward that and get in on top of that uh unfortunately time is against us Aoife. thanks a million for joining me today on the ask for parent podcast it's absolutely fantastic to have you if people wanted more information Aoife, around accessing the supports that you offer how would they go about doing that yeah website parentsupport.ie and instagram at parent support and i like you said i'm i'm um, on with the Dermot and dave show quite regularly so a, a lot all my previous interviews are on my website and um i am also i have a new positive parenting e-learning course launching soon so if your listeners want to keep an eye out on that. And that, that if people are following you on Instagram, the information about that will come through there. Yes, that will come in due course. So at parent support is my Instagram handle. And um, yeah, you know, Coleman, fair play to you for uh, hosting such an amazing podcast because right now, families and parents and carers need this more than ever. So, you know, yeah, excellent, uh, excellent source for parents. As, as I said, I don't know whether, we, if I'd have known how difficult it was, I thought it was just sitting down for 40 minutes chatting <laughs> with someone, but uh, there's a lot more involved in in the editing and all that. And uh, I, I, I thankfully have, have spared that job, but it, yeah, look, it, the response we've gotten shows the need that's out there. Um, yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. uh it's 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 nice to have a resource for people there and and like yourself you know trying to provide that for people is 
yeah. has never been more needed than it is now. But for today, Eva Lee, thank you so much for joining me on the Ask for a Parent podcast. And as always, if you have any questions, get them into us. As I say, we have some themes around Christmas. So if you want any Christmas questions or have any questions around man- managing family time in the next few weeks, which is going to be tricky as far as all, you can get them into askingforaparent at gmail.com. Or you can get us in uh, at the Twitter and Instagram handles or on our Facebook page. Look, Aoife, thank you so much. It's been brilliant chatting to you. And thanks very much for listening. And we'll be out next episode to be on Wednesday. And just to let people know about our Series 2 plans, we do plan to do a Series 2 after Christmas. We think January, February is going to be tough for people too. And so having a little bit more support there might be a good idea. We may be a bit more spread out and do one episode a week as opposed to two. That has proved challenging. But... We will probably do one celebrity interview and then one listener's questions, but we'll hopefully be able to accompany you through January and February. Uh, and that's a decision that we've made over the last week, just given how well this has gone down and the feedback we've been getting, we've decided to, to continue with it for another series. So thanks for that, for everyone for listening. Thanks for subscribing and thanks for sharing. And listen, we'll be back at the next episode on Wednesday, but until then, take care. Bye for now. Stay safe.